That was amazing. And uh, I know that I certainly feel blessed uh, by it. In fact, I feel a little bit unusual because I'm going to talk about evil and not blessings today. Usually when we uh, spend uh, time in church, we're talking about blessings. Ultimately, that is what we're going to end up with. But um, evil is a reality. It's out there. And knowing precisely what to do with it and what it is can be a very important thing when it comes to knowing how to live our lives. In fact, as you'll see as we go along, evil is the primary objection that at least I have to deal with to the existence of God himself, a good God at least. So let's pray before we start. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here with us here on your Sabbath day, that you'll give each one of us wisdom, that you'll guide us into that truth that you wish for us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to talk about evil, death, and salvation, we need to start out answering a question. What is evil? What is it? Well, the Bible provides a very good source of information about that. We sort of automatically know what evil is. But, you know, different philosophical systems may have different views about what evil actually is. The Bible tells us unambiguously what the Christian view of evil is. Here's a very, very, very familiar text to anybody who's familiar with Christianity comes from the 23rd Psalm. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but I kind of like it in the King James Version. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hmm. So, Evil has something to do with death. In fact, death is the ultimate evil. And the Bible tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. That is what this great controversy between God and Satan is really all about. You'll remember that at the beginning of everything, after the creation and God after he had warned Adam and Eve that if they went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die, that death would be the evil that resulted from that action. And what was the first lie that the devil said? You will not surely die. Hmm denying that evil will happen is a dangerous thing. And yet, it happens. And the frustrating thing, I think, to many of us as Christians is that it happens to everybody and every living thing. Ultimately, we all die. And that's a terrible, terrible evil. I had a shocking experience this week. I was uh, 
walking along at Loma Linda University and I encountered a, a former student of mine, um, a lovely, beautiful girl, and um, she had with her children that I had never known about, obviously. I haven't seen her for many years. Beautiful little children. And, and uh, she and her children were sitting there at a, at a table eating some lunch. And um, there were some other people, and she introduced me to the other people. One was her sister, one was her sister-in-law, and one was her brother-in-law. And I was just having a nice chat with this former student and rejoicing in the fact that uh, she seemed to be doing well and everything. And I asked her, so why are you here at uh, Loma Linda University? And she said, just very matter-of-factly, well, I'm here because my brother has terminal cancer and he's going to die here in a, in, in a, in a short period of time. And I'm looking at this fellow that... Uh, is sitting right there who she had just introduced to me as her brother and, and he looked so alive and normal and I'm thinking this, this must be another brother it must be some, some I don't know how many siblings she has surely it's somebody else no, 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 no it was her brother who was sitting right there and he's, he's going to die and he seemed so nice and wonderful it doesn't seem fair it just, he's young much younger than me, much better looking, seemed to be much healthier. Who would have known? He's apparently dying. I, I was shocked. I haven't quite been able to get over that all this week. What an evil thing. What a terrible thing to be going on. You know, these things that seem so unfair, sometimes the Bible talks about this. Look at this. This is, this is Jeremiah talking to God. And he says, You are always righteous, O Lord. But, uh, sorry, no, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. God's never unrighteous. Yet, yet, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease. It's not fair. That young man, he has a wife. He has a... I'm sorry whoever's trying to pair with me. I, uh, no, thank you. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, what's... This just doesn't seem right when there are so many evil and wicked people out there. You know, I think about when I was growing up and... We were living in Thailand and right next door was Cambodia. And there was a, a lunatic in charge of Cambodia named Pol Pot. And just the evil, the evil that was perpetuated was unbelievable. I'm not going to talk about it because unfortunately as a child I became personally familiar with some of that evil. And it just shouldn't happen. How could God let something like that happen to beautiful, wonderful, nice people and yet you know, so many millions of people were killed as a result of this Pol Pot and yet he died of natural causes as an old man. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Recently I was um, in London. Actually I, I, I flew 
into Gatwick Airport. And it was in the evening and, and I had to fly out the next morning from Heathrow Airport. London has multiple airports around it. So I had to get from, London, from, Heath, from Gatwick Airport to Heathrow Airport. So I took the Heathrow Flyer. You'd think that that would mean it would be fast or that it would fly or something, but you know, you're going between two airports, but no, it's just a bus. And um, it was uh, very cold uh, when I went outside the airport to catch this bus and I had to wait and I was thinking, well, oh, this is an evil experience that I'm having. But um, it turned out to be an interesting one. The bus came and I, I got on and there was hardly anybody else on the bus. There was me and I remember be, sitting behind me, there was a couple from Iceland. Probably the weather seemed great to them, I don't know. But um, they, were, they were in a very jolly mood and they were handing out... Um, chocolate-covered licorice. Apparently it's an Icelandic speciality. We have a lot of time on their hands, apparently in Iceland. But um, in any case, um, we were all having a nice time on the bus. There was sort of a conversation going between the few people who were there, and the bus driver was chatting with us as well. And um, so I was chit-chatting with him, and it was interesting. He was a, um, a teacher. He was not teaching, obviously, right then. He was driving a bus, and and um, he was an interesting fellow because um, he was a guitar player, apparently an exceptionally good guitar player, because he played with many very famous guitarists who I'd actually heard of. So I was impressed by that. And we were just chit-chatting away. And I asked, well, why, why is it that you're driving a bus? And I, he didn't give a very straight answer. But from what I gathered, it was because his mother had just died. And he took uh, a year off from teaching to take care of his mother. And what was shocking was this experience. He just came flat out and said, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. And the reason I'm an atheist is this. Because my mother was a good woman. She was a beautiful woman. She didn't harm anybody. And I just had to watch her waste away and die. And it was so cruel and so evil and that should never happen to anybody. And if, God, if God's powerful and if God's all-knowing and he didn't, save my mother from that fate, then I'm not going to believe in him. This is a very, very common objection to the existence of God. And I actually brought this text up with him. He didn't want to listen to it. I said, yes, you know, interestingly enough, this is a problem. This kind of unfairness is something that people in the Bible struggle with. Those of us who believe that God designed things, what do we think when, when God's designs fail? His mother's body just failed her. Oh, what does that say about God? Hmm. What kinds of things might we be able to come up with that we could think of that are sort of evil things, designs that we believe God had, 
had a hand in making and that were originally very good and yet they fail. I mean, here are some common ones, you know, aching, aching backs. Sometimes my back, my back aches. It's very unpleasant. And wisdom teeth. You know, why, how many people here had their wisdom teeth pulled out? You know, what a nasty experience. And I had my wisdom teeth out when I was living in Thailand and they seem to have forgotten to have used the anesthetic. It was, I, I don't know, about wisdom teeth. They're sort of unfortunate. And what about heart attacks? Two people, two people that I know in the last week have had heart attacks. Well, you know, and, and, and people ask, you know, what, what was God, why didn't God design hearts a little bit better so that we don't have heart attacks and things? And then all of us, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, we face old age and then death. Our bodies wear out and we die. What does that say about whether we were created? And what does it say about God? It's worth pointing out that an imperfect design doesn't mean something was not designed. Um, Ironically, imperfect or what are thought of as being imperfect designs um, are commonly raised as if there are objections against design. But that's absolutely not, not the case at all. Things are designed all the time and they're imperfect. I kind of wish that the angle on the backs of the pews here was just a little bit different. It's not quite perfect for my back. But uh, sometimes things are imperfect. Yeah, those of you who lived, who've lived a few years may recognize this imperfect design. Yes, I remember taking a ride in one of these Ford Pintos and contemplating what an imperfect design it was. Thankfully, I wasn't rear-ended um, when I was in the back seat and incinerated as a consequence of the exploding gas tanks on these things. Huh. But the Ford Pinto was certainly designed. It was imperfectly designed. That's why you almost never see one nowadays. Um, it was a design with some serious problems to it and they just happened to wear out fairly fast as well. So, yes, imperfect designs raise questions about the competence of the designers And to really decide that, you have to answer a couple of questions. The first of these is, what were the intentions of the designer? Did the people who designed the Ford Pinto really want to design something that when it was rear-ended, people in the back seat tended to be incinerated as a consequence? I mean, surely that wasn't what they were trying to do. They just made a mistake. But... But, let me tell you something. The interesting thing about the Ford Pinto is that the engineers who designed it met all of the design criteria that they were asked to meet. You know, the, the, the managers and everything at Ford, the Ford Motor Company, they had said, we need you to design a car that meets these criteria. And these genius engineers sat down and they actually designed and built a car that did exactly what they were asked to do. So in a way you could say it was a good design. It met the design criteria that they were given. 
And then the question is, how well were those intentions realized? They were met very well with the, with the Ford Pinto. Made Ford actually money still, even after the lawsuits, even after the deaths. Ford Motor Company still made money on the Ford Pinto, which was ultimately what they cared about. Hmm. You know, we believe, based on what Scripture tells us, that God's intentions, when he created, were good. He designed human beings to be immortal. He didn't design a system that had death in it. God's intentions were good. Whose intentions were bad? Satan's? What about Adam and Eve? I don't know. You know, you can sort of argue this way and the other on that. But however you want to argue it, the bottom line is Adam and Eve chose for humanity death. God did not choose death. Adam and Eve chose death. We, when we sin, choose death. We choose evil. That's what... Think about, think about the question that that bus driver was struggling with. Okay. Who's responsible for this? Who's responsible for my mother dying a terrible death? He wants to blame God and then say that God doesn't exist. But it's the wrong question, isn't it? Yeah. Or at least the wrong answer. God didn't choose death for us. We chose death for us. There's something that's a little bit more troubling, though, than bodies wearing out and so on. I mean, obviously, we chose death and, and, um, and you know, things naturally wear out and um, all of that sort of thing. But I have to admit that when it comes to my particular line of work, there's something that's more troubling. Okay? And that is evil design. Evil design design in nature itself. And I'm going to use a couple of examples here. One is a snake. This particular snake here is, uh, is from Africa, just like the children's story this morning. It's a Gabon viper, and it's the largest viper out there. Amazing, terrifying creature. Uh, this particular one tried to bite me. Thankfully, it was on the other side of a piece of glass. That's why I was courageous enough to get this close with my camera. But, um, yes, a scary, fearsome creature. See, sin may be a reasonable explanation for designs that fail under current conditions. We weren't designed to live in a sinful, death-driven kind of world. We were designed to live in a perfect world and to be perfect beings and to, ref to, to, to be, we, we were designed in the image of God. That's what we were designed to do. We're sort of asking our bodies to do something they weren't designed to do, to live in a sinful kind of world. But structures in nature that appear to be very well designed for an evil purpose raise a more profound question, at least for me. Yeah, did God design these evil things? Oh, where did the evil 
designs come from? Let's just look at an example of what I consider to be evil design in nature. Viper's fangs. They act like hypodermic needles attached to poison glands that contract to force poison through the fangs and into their victims. Ouch! That's nasty. If we saw it, if, if we saw this sort of system and it did some sort of good, we'd say, praise God. But it's a system that's designed to kill things. It's for death. It's for the purpose of death. It's an evil system, yet it looks designed. And look at this. Look at this thing. The gray there is where these um, glands are that produce the poison. The poison travels through the glands and then through these hollowed out teeth. And the teeth are long. And they fold up inside the mouth of the viper. I mean, it's just an amazing system that's going on there. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I'm going to go uh, with a couple of my students and take a look at their snakes, at their vipers, because they have a lot of vipers, it turns out, at Loma Linda University, and, and they've got them just across the street from my office. So I thought, oh, let's go over and take a look at it. And um, so uh, we took a couple of these snakes out just to take a look at them. Um, this is, this is um, uh, one of the... We were mainly looking at rattlesnakes. This is one of them. And I'm going to show you um, something that's... Uh, we, we took some video of them. You can see that we were being very naughty here and doing it out on the lawn. And apparently we're not supposed to do that. But uh, in any case, um, take a look at this. I'm hoping that... Yes, there's the... Did you see how fast that was? Here, I'm going to, I'll show you another one, and it's just as fast. Um, the speed is unbelievable. Um, this was filmed in HD video, and um, uh, we were using 30 frames a second. How many frames do you think it takes from the snake to go from being all coiled up to, being, to actually hitting the balloon and making it pop? Yeah, three frames. A tenth of a second. Okay, so if you take nothing else from this sermon, don't play with snakes. These things—they move so much further and faster than you would ever anticipate. I mean, these things are really, really fast. They're designed. They're designed for, and they open their mouths almost 180 degrees, and their fangs are pointed absolutely to the front. I mean, it is a, the whole. Thing. The whole organism is designed to kill other organisms. Everything about them, the system, is just so evil and so perfect. And here's the problem. The Bible seems to be very clear that God is the designer of all things. This is what John said. He said, all things were made by him. This is Jesus Christ, our creator and redeemer. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You know, there is a trap that people get themselves into. I have been in this trap. Okay, where we try to somehow or other distance God from the creation. To make him not responsible for things like snakes that bite and have these evil systems in them. God actually doesn't ask us to do that. 
God is good not because nature is perfect. We chose death for nature. God put human beings in charge. He gave us dominion over nature. We chose death. We chose evil. God did not do that. God is good because even though we chose that, he offers us salvation. Even though we chose it. We shouldn't be surprised to see evil in nature. We chose it. We shouldn't blame God for it. We should blame ourselves. Now remember, with the snakes, by the way, Christian, the Bible itself gives us plenty of reasons why things are pretty nasty. God himself cursed snakes. Okay? And he doesn't ask us to get us... Get, <laughs> doesn't ask us to get himself off the hook for that. He takes full responsibility for it. Um, you know, and and we, we unleash the devil. We, we, he calls himself now the prince of this world because we chose evil and he is evil. We chose death. God is good because he offers us life. That's beyond dispute. The existence of evil is not an argument against design or a designer. It is an argument against the goodness of God. If we believe that God is evil, we should just be living in terror. Thankfully, we don't have to believe that God is evil because he has given us abundant evidence of his righteousness. You know, with everything, God promises us not evil, but beauty. Look at this. This is Ecclesiastes. It says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their hearts, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I sincerely believe this. You know, ultimately, God will bring beauty out of the ashes that we have made of the creation. And even when we look at it now, you know what, if we're willing to see it, there's plenty of beauty to see there. Here's another of the snakes that they have across the street there. This is a, this is a king cobra. It's not, a, not the biggest one I've ever seen. We had it out on the lawn too. What a, what a wonderful, beautiful work of art, as long as it's not biting you. Uh, when I was a kid, we had these around our house. We, it was kind of a problem because sometimes they'd come inside. Thankfully, not when I was ever in there, but it happened uh, repeatedly in our house. Um, beautiful things. They really, really are beautiful things. I remember finding little baby ones, getting into trouble for bringing them home. But um, beautiful, but dangerous and evil, and cursed. Everything. You know, I believe that God is quite capable of changing snakes from the terrifying things, frankly, that they are now into the beautiful things that he originally created. Here's one more example of evil. This one just gives me the shivers. This is a carpenter ant. Uh, this particular kind of ant 
that I'm talking about is found in many places, but uh, particularly in Thailand, uh, where I spent much of my childhood. And um, what happens is these carpenter ants will sometimes have a little spore land on them. A little spore just comes down on them, lands on them somewhere or other, and that spore germinates. And it puts out little hyphae, like little roots, all throughout its body and takes over its brain. And it becomes a zombie ant. That's what they call them. Okay? These ants live high up in trees. And when it gets taken over, when its brain gets taken over by this fungus, it turns around and it walks down the tree to a very specific height. And then it goes out on a leaf on the north side of the tree. It's very precise. It looks like a very designed system. By the way, this isn't the only kind of mind control thing that you see in nature like this. It's just sort of terrible. And so it goes out on a leaf and it clamps onto that leaf with its jaws and the jaws won't release. And then this fungus sends a structure out of the top of the ant with a fruiting body on it and that fruiting body releases more spores just where more ants like this are wandering around on the ground getting food and so on and, they, and this cycle is repeated over and over again. It just seems so evil. Did God create it? Well, God certainly didn't choose it. We chose it. We chose nature to be like this, to be cruel and evil. And yet, there's still plenty of beauty that we can still see there. Plenty of beauty. You know, this problem of evil in nature is not something that is ignored in the Bible. It is something that is dealt with absolutely head on. The Apostle Paul here says this. Uh, this was in our, our reading this morning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. The whole of creation, not just us. The whole creation, every bit of it, every animal, every plant, everything is groaning and suffering because of this evil in the world. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yes, we realize that there is evil in the world and we don't call the evil good, which, by the way, the theory of evolution does. Evolution is a death-driven process. Death is what made us what we are today. Death is what drives things forward, according to that theory. It's not, we don't say death is good, we recognize the evil and look forward to life, to redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah. This is what Isaiah said. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? This is how God feels about us. We are God's children. We are God's creation. God can't forget us. God is good. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. This is what God says. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. 
Is God good? How could we ever question the goodness of God? When Jesus Christ himself came down, does God know what evil is? You bet. He experienced the full measure of the evil that we experience. Why did he do it? So that we can have life. He died so that we can have life. God doesn't ignore the evil. He fixes the evil. He saves us from the evil. This is what Moses said when he was preaching his last sermon to the children of Israel. He says, This day I call on the, call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. He's saying, Choose life. Don't choose death. He said, Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Surely this is the challenge that we as Christians should be taking on ourselves today. Let's all of us choose life. That free gift that God has won for us. We are born choosing death, choosing evil. But we have the choice still, even in this evil world where we have chosen evil, we still have the choice to choose righteousness, to choose life. And that is what God promises to us. So let us end with this. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Yes, because God is not going to leave the creation subject to death and evil. He is going to recreate. This is what John saw. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Do we want a new heaven and a new earth? I do. I'm fed up with death. I'm fed up with evil. I know that this is what we chose, but I want something different. I want something better. Surely we all want this. For for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Thank God it's going to be passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Where, who is this loud voice? I don't know. I like to think it's God himself. Maybe it's an angel announcing it. But it's coming from the throne. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. It's now among men, you and me. That's what we can look forward to. The good, righteous God who we have rejected in our own lives is going to come and live among us. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Hallelujah. Or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. My prayer is that each one of us is preparing today to be part of that new order that God has promised that the good God who didn't bring death into the world, the God who brings life 
an eternal life at that, that we will be preparing for that new order with him today. Our closing song will be number five, sorry, 103, O God, our help in ages past. Join me standing as we sing our closing hymn number 103. that you will be our help in this evil world that we have chosen, but that we will choose with our hearts you, that we will choose life. And prepare each one of us, I pray, for your soon coming. Let each one of us go to heaven to live with you eternally, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.